Today's episode of The Coder Career is brought to you by the University of Birmingham's new front-end development course. If you're trying to make the jump into front-end development, UOB is offering a free 16-week part-time course to get you job-ready and start a both satisfying and financially lucrative career in tech. If you're based in the West Midlands and you're aged 19 years or over, apply via the link in the description. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Coder Career with myself, Colin Riddell. I am a former instructor and software engineer. Good afternoon, party people. This is Cameron Blackwood, the Coder Career co-founder, former technical recruiter, and current software engineer. And we are really excited for today's episode because I think I'm going to learn a lot today. Yes, that's what we like. Can't wait. What are we talking about? Yeah, I was going to say to you, what are we talking about? Kubernetes, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about Kubernetes. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting one. I'm, I'm dead, I'm dead keen to talk about it. Um, so yeah, what do you know about Kubernetes? I'm going to be honest, not a whole lot. So from what I understand, okay. it's, it, it's basically um, a way of managing virtual machines and scalability, uh, whether that's horizontal or vertical, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah. essentially, it's a way of managing containers on virtual machines and um, being able to scale up and down um, your VMs uh, with stuff like demand um, and requirements. So that's my very basic understanding of the whole thing. So I get the use case and yep. I get the sell but I don't get how it works. Got you. All right. Well, we maybe not going to. We maybe don't have time to go into the how it works. Um, but like we will definitely chat about what it is and make sure that people have a really deep understanding of what it is because it's one of those things that like I've discovered that a lot of people, that a lot of people, it's a bit of a mystical black box in that because it is a quite a complex system that. In order to understand what it is, you need to understand what a couple of other things are, as we'll explain. And uh, I think that means that some people think it's a database. Like <laughs> some people think it's like a like I think you were saying earlier. Some people think it's a programming language. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll give that a, we'll give that stuff a bash. We'll just get cracked straight in it then. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, when I was a recruiter, I remember like no one understanding what it was and everyone panicking. I think even pronouncing it. I don't think anyone knew. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, even now, as a regular software engineer, it is still very mysterious. But I guess it need not be that way. Nah, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, and uh, remember the thing that people used to always trouble have trouble pronouncing was like people used to always argue about Linux versus Linux. But that's a whole other that's a whole other uh, <laughs> a whole thing other for another, another day. Unless so, I get started on GIF and Jeff. <laughs> GIF and Jeff. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it that um, someone, one of my lectures at uni used to call it a, he didn't call it a, he didn't call it a pixel, he called it a poxel. Oh, that's so, I don't know. That's, that's, a whole I mean, that's other... just wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So let's st- let's get stuck into this Kubernetes thing and uh, not waste people's uh, precious time on, on, on telling them what it is. So the thing about understanding Kubernetes is that in, in order to understand what Kubernetes is, we need to understand two really important pieces of information, right? The first thing we need to understand is the concept of multi-tenancy. And the second thing we need to understand is virtualization, right? So what we're going to do as part of this explanation um, is we're going to not talk about Kubernetes for like the first 10 minutes. <laughs> and we're going to talk about these two concepts, multi-tenancy and virtualization. 
So what is multi-tenancy? That's the first thing we need to we need to get into. Multi-tenancy is this idea that you can that you should be able to run um that lots of people can run their app on one machine. Now let me try and explain. So let's say you go you get a server and you run your code on that server. And generally when we get a server, like because that's where our when we ship our code to the on to the internet, that's where it ends up running, right? Like that's that's something we need we need to all just you know be comfortable with. When that's when we put that where that code on that code goes onto that server to run, it's running on a machine, a computer with other people's code running on it, right? So back in the day, like twenty years ago, to put something out on on the internet to publish our to publish our, our application, our web app, um, we would, for example, we would either buy a server, or you would rent a server in a in a in a in a data center, and then they'd give you like direct access. You'd have full tenancy of that machine, right? So you'd be able to like remotely access that machine. You'd install your application. You would basically have you could do whatever the hell you wanted about that machine. You know, within their terms, probably. But you know, you'd buy Nothing a physical illegal. machine and. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Or maybe you'd sign something to say that if you do something illegal, it's not there. It's not there. It's not their problem. Um, so, what the problem with that though is, is that if you 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 take your one app, right? Let's say you've written an app in Python, okay, and you've 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 rented this machine, this big beefy server. Um, that ends up being a fairly cost costly way of like running your application now let's not go at we know that the cloud which is the thing that comes later on is costly but let's let's not take that argument in account too much so it's caught but it's more costly for the person who is is running the server and is renting it out to you and that like you've got one tiddly little app which might not even be getting a a, a ton of hits or a lot of usage but it's using a big beefy server so um, multi-tenancy is the idea that you make a system somehow that makes it so that when you go to rent someone a server, you actually rent them like a sectioned off space of one big server rather than them, rather than them, you know, renting you something that's like the whole thing. Um, and this means that you move away from this idea that you have one physical machine per application, which is genuinely how things used to work, right? And we move towards a system where we have one application, sorry, we have one physical machine, but it could be running lots and lots of different applications. Now, you may be asking why, why is that, why is that important? And the reason that's important is because it's really feasible within reason for you to write some code in your app, which could read all of the data on that on that computer right like like that's not a difficult thing for someone of a medium coding ability to be able to like even figure out how to do you know you write a python you write part of your python code to like skim every single piece of like data off that hard drive to like pull all the data out the ram like send it to you and you've got if you've got two applications that are running on one server and one's from customer a and one's from customer b Customer B can steal customer A's data, right? So this is why multi-tenancy exists. It exists to make it so that two people 
two companies, two entities can run their app in a server, but not have to worry about their data being stolen by someone else. Um, and not only that, but they're like, what if one's Bitcoin and mining and the other one's just sitting there doing nothing? You know, let's do with the term uh, usage usage uh, policies and stuff as well. So that's what multi-tenancy is. And virtual machines are the way in which that was solved. And of course, you'll have heard of virtual machines. You kind of mentioned them earlier on as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So virtual machines solve the problem of multi-tenancy. They solve the problem of multi-tenancy by making it so that you can have, you basically take one big physical machine, but you run specialist software on that on that physical machine that essentially partitions every part of the machine. It partitions the CPU, it partitions the hard drive, it partitions the RAM, it partitions everything into two. And then what you do is you, it's specialist software that, Runs on top of run, runs on the on the on your on your computer, but it runs on the computer, and it makes it so that those are almost like it little virtual. It's hard it's hard to describe little virtual <laughs> machines within the machine, uh, and they're like a soft version of that computer. Now that means that you can basically have you could have like a physical you know server, a laptop, you know, or whatever, um, your desktop your gaming PC or anything could be, you know, your host machine and it could have one VM that runs on it. And then that VM, you could have a completely different system. So for example, you could have like a Windows machine with a Linux VM on it, or you could have a Windows machine like with a with like three or four Linux VMs on it, or a Linux, a Linux machine with three or four Windows VMs on it. The only one that people have never really quite cracked how to do properly, and I'm pretty sure you can probably do it by now, but it's a bit fiddly, is running Mac as a VM. So you can use Macs to host VMs, but it's really, diff- it's really difficult to run Macs as VMs. I think one of the big cloud computing providers does offer Mac now, but it is like Mac OS, but in limited terms. Maybe it is literally just running on Macs. Um, but yeah, I think it is very cool because I've done that before with, I've run Linux VMs on a Windows machine, but people do need to remember to shut them down. Otherwise they will eat that RAM like nobody's business. Um, but yeah, I feel like when you were looking for the word, I wondered if you were looking for the word containers and that might be a segue. Nope. But no. <laughs> I'm afraid not. That would definitely muddy the waters in terms yeah. of confusion. Like one minute you're talking about this. So, so VMs are like amazing, right? Like, but, and they're still used today. Um, they're still very much a prevalent part of the cloud and like our modern infrastructure for for building servers and services. They're not used anywhere near as much as they used to be because of things like containers, as, as we'll get onto. But but basically, VMs, as I said before, they 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 take a physical machine and they break it down into, into so that you can essentially have lots of soft software defined machines that that they have no way of interacting with each other at all they're like so they're 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 so they're completely isolated you know like the the memory space that your application runs on vm a isn't the same memory space that your application runs on vm b like the hard drive isn't the same hard drive i mean it is but it's not like physically the same it's not like physically it's physically the same hard drive when you like 
pull out in 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 the, in, this, in the grand scheme of things. But in terms of their little environments, to to them individually, there's there's nothing there's nothing that's shared. And um, so it is physically the same hard drive that you're connected to, and that people are putting their data on. So if there's a machine with one hard drive and then that's split between two virtual machines, it's still physically the same hard drive that the data goes on. We're not, there's no mad, there's no insane magic. That means it's different hard drives. But if you are from the point of view of that virtual machine, there's no physical way of accessing the data on the other virtual machines, hard drive in the same way. There's no other way of accessing the, the memory space of that other virtual machine and there's no other way of accessing the the CPU, like um, the virtualized CPU as well. So, it's so can, I, can I try an analogy here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so to explain it in, in real world terms to the listeners rather than uh, like to give an analogy. Um, yeah. It's like a big storage uh, facility where you rent mm-hmm. out a part of it, but you can only access that part of it and you can't see what everyone else has in there and you can't break into theirs because each is individually locked in this giant storage facility. So you have storage within yeah. the storage. Yeah, it kind of is. But like the, the amount of space that you get is depending on how much is allocated by them. So yeah, that's a perfect analogy. Cool, good. Cool. That's, that's the VMs. Clip sorted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's VMs. Um, so, specialist software makes multi-tenancy possible. Um, so, the one of the kind of issues that we've got here, just to keep in mind, is that your one physical machine can run like one, two, four, six, eight. You know, like small numbers of virtual machines, right? Like there's an upper limit on the number of virtual machines that you can run within a physical machine. And that's really, really, really important to understanding why containers are important, which is what tells us the story of Kubernetes. So one of the things we talk about as well is that when virtual machines came along, developers needed to deal with the complexity of running and maintaining virtual machines, you know, which are actually quite unwieldy and clunky and one of the reasons that are unwieldy and clunky is because you as a as a as a developer if you want to deploy something onto a vm the vm has an operating system on it and that operating system is often the entire operating system for that application for the for for that for that os you know so if you want to run like your your python app and if you want to run it on Windows, you'll have full Windows there. If you want to run it on Linux, you'll have full Linux. Um, and there's not really an easy way to like cut bits out and pull bits out, which is another reason that that's going to give rise uh, importance to the to the to the, the more modern alternative. So, with this virtualization, this gave rise to a category of services known as PaaS, Platform as a Service. So platform as a service is where someone else manages the configuration for you, right? So someone says, hey, I am going to give you a server. You don't know whether it's a physical machine or a virtual machine. You just get access to a server and we'll manage it for you. We'll manage the configuration for you. It's likely going to be a virtual machine, right? And there's a big company, VMware, basically specialized. Their entire business is, is based off of building 
virtual machine software for for servers and for desktop as well and and that was for a long time and i suppose in some respects still is is how applications are run you know you 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 get you get a you get some server space but it's probably not going to be physical server space you get a virtualized server server space to run your application on and this is this is paas platform as a service and this is kind of around the time that when this this idea of platform as a service was was born that's really where the cloud started right so um when it becomes easier to just be like rent a service um run your stuff that's kind of where we're starting to see the beginning of of what made up what made up the cloud um and this is how stuff was built for you know quite a while you know like uh, 15 20 years ago there are still quite a lot of applications that run that run um run that way very 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 few of modern day applications are, are run that way now although we might let's talk about this later on we might this might all go back to after that the uh the 37 signals uh, uh, blog that was that was that happened quite recently maybe chat about that in a wee while so the problem with using VMs, though, is, as I said before, you've got a maximum upper limit on the number of VMs that you can stick into one physical machine. And, you know, you could probably get, best case, 15, 24 on a really, 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 really beefy machine with, like, f- like four quad-core uh, CPUs, 128 gigs of memory, like a three-terabyte SSD, you know, like... These these machines, in order to run that that many VMs, they need to be beefy. You know, running running a VM with that runs that runs nothing. Like if you spin up a VM on your computer and just run nothing on it, that it's still running something. So it's still using like 50, 80, 30 percent of your CPU, depending on you know how how much it's using. And um Companies like VMware were trying to tackle that and still are trying to tackle that by making it so that, for example, you could take VMs and scale them out, right? So basically, um, what they've been, what VMware are trying really hard to do and managed to, and managed to do is, is to fight this idea that, they're, that the VM's scalability is bound. What that means is that they're, that um, basically VMs are, 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 are bound by the, the confines of the of the physical machine that they run on and they're vertically they're vertically bound which means in order to get more vm power the only way to get is is a bigger machine as i said so companies like vmware are trying really hard to like make it so that it scales horizontally which means that you just add more machines um and that endeavor ended up being quite costly because that's a that was a big research you know kind of you know, project and a big, a lot of effort to make, to make it, to make a network of computers appear like one computer, like in, 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 in a, in a really simple, simplified sense. So that means that longer term, only really wealthy, uh, big banks and larger companies were able to really take advantage of that. So VMs were the solution to, um, multi-tenancy multi-tenancy is this idea that you have multiple applications from multiple application developers all running on one machine um and that's a that that then sets that now that we understand that 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 then sets the stage for 
our understanding um, of containers. And I think now we've set the stage. We now know that we've now know that, and we've got a kind of understanding that there's a problem here with we've solved the problem of you know um, um, multi-tenancy through virtual machines, but we're realizing that virtual machines are quite clunky and heavy. So along comes an application in around about 2008 called Docker, right? And nearly every engineer has heard heard of Docker. And Docker gave gave birth to containers. Now, okay, there might be somebody out there that knows their history pretty well that says, well, actually, containers existed before Docker came along. And yes, technically that's true. The concept of a, of, a, of what a container was existed before Docker, the company, Docker's a company, um, made it famous. And confusingly, Docker is a company, but the people at Docker invented the open source project called Docker, um, which may or may not be open source anymore, actually, now that I think about it. I think it probably think, is. Yeah, it, something changed on it recently, I want to say. Yeah, I think maybe the license changed. That's all it is. I can't I think that might be what it is. Do you know what I mean? Please do not take my fact. <laughs> well, we'll have a clarification in the description because I'm curious. We'll about have that clarification. Uh, GitHub Docker. Definitely not googling anything there. <laughs> not not googling anything. <laughs> Looks like there is a there is a, some repositories there, but I'm not I'm I'm not sure if the actual core part of Docker is is open source anymore. But I could be wrong, so please don't take please don't take fact in it. Anyway, Docker. The point is that Docker is. Is the thing that was released in like around 2008, 2009, maybe, that brought containers to the forefront and said, right, here's what containers are. Um, containers are a way of using multi tenancy. So the same concept of running multiple separate, very separate um, um, operating systems that are contained on one physical machine. And containers are what Docker runs and they run natively on that host, right? Now, what that means is there's no virtualization and that means that it's significantly more efficient in every way possible. It means that the number of applications that you can run in containers, even though it's a similar concept to virtual machines, is vast compared to compared to um, virtual machines. We're talking like, one one physical machine like your laptop could run maybe like three or four vms re- really well maybe five but your laptop could run between a hundred and a thousand containers now if those th- if those thousand containers or even more don't do much there's they could do a, a whole lot more um and that's like a huge win right so we went from VMs, which are like these very isolated virtual machines, to containers. Now, containers are basically something that pretends that it's running in a completely separate operating system. Um, and what that what it does is is Linux has got some magic that makes it so that it looks like to that container that it's the only thing like running on that machine, um, and that there's no way of like accessing the accessing what we call the host, which is the thing where the container runs on. But the great thing about it is it's just a normal like native process that runs on like that. Usually Linux, um, when Docker first launched it, it Windows wasn't a thing. Um, containers kind of primarily like exist in the Linux space. Uh, I, I, 
there is now support for Windows um, and for on both sides. In other words, you can have you can run containers on Windows, and my understanding is that you can also run Windows containers. But again, that might not be true. I can't. I've never actually done it, so I'm pretty sure you can though. And um, so basically, your container is like a very, 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 very lightweight version of what a virtual machine does, but it doesn't do any virtualization. And actually, in actual fact, what you can do is if you're if you're on an, an, an operating system which is running some Docker containers, it's possible for you as the person who owns the host to like find where the files are that that those individual containers like are using, but they're like deep, 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 deep into the into the machine, and they're designed for you to never be never never be found. Now, you could say, oh, that's privacy, blah blah blah, but. The, the way that multi-tenancy works is that the host can, can at least with the containers, the host can see the container's data, but the containers cannot see each other's data or processes or anything like that. So that's the that's the important kind of takeaway from for, uh, for, from that. And that so, solves the original problem as discussed where you could write some kind of script to grab data out of the random access memory. Um, and yeah. basically... Let's assume that your uh, your lovely co-tenant on a virtual machine um, is uh, stealing your payment details <laughs> as you're yeah. processing them, uh, and we avoid that problem, which I think we can all agree is a very good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. We don't condone signing. <laughs> <laughs> we got you. <laughs> so the. This is this is what containers are now. They, it takes a little bit of time to like quite get that in your head. I think for a lot of people, and it, it can be one of these things that someone explaining it doesn't really help. But one of the other things that is really important about containers is that is that they they re, they allow they allow for reduction in the OS what we call image. So the OS image is like all the files that are used to install the operating system that that VM or container will use. So back in the day, for example, like when we had VMs, you would, you would, you would, this is a maybe a good way to think about it for some people. If you wanted to install like a, a windows VM on your whatever machine, you would physically take your windows, like CD ROM that had like windows installed on it. And you'd put it in your, in the computer that you wanted to put the windows VM on. And then you would say like, to the VM manager, make me a VM from this, like this disk. Another way to think about that is an image. Eventually you could download like what we call ISOs. Like um, there are basically like, an ISO is basically like a disk that you like can download. It's insane. Um, they're not as common as they used to be, but if you want to install a Linux um, OS, that's that's how you do it. And kind of what, what and they're referred to as images. So what containers do is they, they take that concept even further and say, right, we a, con um, a container is made from an image, but then they rip it all apart in a really good way. And what they do is they take something like a big Linux image that's maybe got like a gig and a half worth of like random crap in it, like the 64 languages, a bunch of sh stupid useless games that nobody really wants or cares about, a bunch of like utility apps that nobody wants or cares about, and what they do is like they rip that out, right? This is the great thing about about um, containers, modern day containers, is that the images can be highly customized. So what you can basically do is you can take out all the stuff that is not needed, except the bits that are needed to run your app, 
And that's really, I want to let that settle in people's heads because that's really, really powerful. What that means is you can then basically down, you can download, you can go onto like what's called Docker Hub and you can download a bunch of images or an image that has all of the stuff that you need to be able to run Python or Redis or Java or even WordPress or even like a bunch of like other types of servers that I can't think of right now. <laughs> like, so we've now got if you want to suffer through something like that, then feel free. <laughs> WordPress is popular. Not gonna, not gonna go there. <laughs> but um, the the point is that is that we we now have a we now have a system where we can you can customize these things within an inch of its life. You know, you give me enough enough operating system guts just to be able to run Node, and that's all you need. So we've basically went from running four to eight separate applications per machine where now we can now run like a hundred to a thousand applications per machine so once you like scale that up you've then got tons and tons and tons of like separate applications per machine but these applications aren't just applications they're entire operating systems a container is basically an entire operating system albeit a stripped down operating system it's got very little in it you can literally spin up a container and you can what we call shell into it. You can SSH into it or get access to it. And you can be you can look around in there, you know, using the command line, you know, CD, LS, etc. And there's nothing there. Like that you'll be like there'll be like a lib directory, a bin directory, like a user directory, and a bunch of other basic Linux stuff that, that Linux needs. You know, who knows what Linux needs? Um and um that's all that'll be there. And then there'll be your there'll be your app. Um and then we we now have, we now we've now really just unlocked some some really really great features of 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 how we run applications in a in a modern kind of scalable sense. Makes sense. I'm definitely going to do some reading up uh, on this after the show, and I think it's probably a good idea for listeners to do as well if they're not familiar already. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning to me that YouTube channel the other day that you said is basically mm. authority in Kubernetes. What what was that one again? It's became authority in Kubernetes. This YouTube channel is called Tech World with Nana. And she's like an amazing uh, DevOps uh, and Kubernetes and Docker software engineer who has done some of the best like tutorials and concept videos on both Docker and Kubernetes like in recent times. Absolute authority, as you say. And if she's listening, do come on the podcast and um, t- teach us about, about Kubernetes as well. That would be cool. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, containers are little native processes that run on your machine and they are and they're they themselves are entirely like they're their whole operating systems in, in their in their own right so we now know what multi-tenancy is we now know what vms um, are vms by the way are still very much used in 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 data centers and in cloud computing like everywhere like you can still rent vms you can still buy vms you can buy physical machines. You can rent physical machines, and um, and most like most of the stuff that runs on the cloud runs on VMs. And the reason for that is because is because um, essentially like companies like VMware have basically made it so that you can control your entire data center using v- VMs, and you can basically like software define everything. You know, you can just have a bunch of machines that are networked together, and you can say right. These machines, these machines do this, um, or every second machine 
works this part of the data center. Every third machine works with this part of the data center, and it's really good for like resiliency and all the rest of it. So please don't be fooled into thinking that VMs are like old school and redundant. They're, they've just moved down a layer to the point where we no longer, we as application developers no longer see them. They're they're very much in use and they're very much still there. Um, and actually, ironically, like you need some quite cool hardware on your computer to be able to run VMs. I don't know if you remember when I first met you, you had this problem with your oh. desktop that you you couldn't you, you like you couldn't run a you couldn't install Docker, which uses a VM. Ironically, yeah, I couldn't um, use virtualization. Yeah, because you had to enable the the virtualization. So basically, that was the a way very just, boring day fixing that. Do you know I yeah. actually ended up? I mean, I did fix it, but something else went wrong in that computer, and I literally ended up raging so much on a Saturday afternoon that I uh, <laughs> unplugged it, stripped everything out of it, and eBayed all the components. Like, You're I was joking. Just so fed up with it. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I swear to God. <laughs> VMs are good, honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't because right. of that. It was it's something else that happened to it. Um, there was a, I'm not going to bore the listeners, but there was a problem with the processor or something. I can't remember. Right. There must have been, because basically the, the, the quick the quick takeaway from that little side, side note of information is that despite the the the, 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 the sweet, awesome power of, of virtual machines and, and how they're, much, they're very much, they're still very much widely used, they actually need some pretty sophisticated hardware on the CPU level to work. Um, their Intel has a whole host of uh, VX uh, type instructions, instructions which only virtual machines can really access and use. So yeah, there's some pretty cool stuff going on there. Um, so we now have containers. We now have virtual machines. We we understand we understand what what multi tenancy is and all the rest of it. But now we have a bunch of pro- other problems, right? So. Um, People now have are running all their applications in containers. They're probably getting to the hundreds of containers, you know, for a, a big a big application. Now they need some other things. For example, how do we connect different containers to different networks? How do I say, for example, I want these containers which are dealing with payments to not be publicly accessible? I want these containers that are dealing with like the front end to be public publicly accessible. How do I, like I say run some like run these all these containers together but load balance between them which means like share the load between them um how do i for example um make it so that i if i've got a bunch of physical machines or a bunch of vms and i want to like run containers on all of them but make it look like one big like pool of containers how do i do that and yes finally the answer to that is kubernetes so kubernetes is the answer to basically all of those three those three questions and on the high level kubernetes is how you organize and manage and control lots of containers as well as how they do things like access the internet speak to each other hide from each other in terms of networking um how they access um databases how they you know treat um like lots of things to do with stuff like that so, like, it basically allow Kubernetes allows you to like run containers, but in a way that you can have multiple physical machines that are all connected. You could literally like take two laptops or two desktops and network them together, like in your house, and run Kubernetes on both of them. But what it looks like, it looks like one big. It would look like one big machine where you can just run lots of containers. 
and Kubernetes will automatically manage and balance between those two machines, which is really, really, really good from a physical um, redundancy point of view. So before Kubernetes, it wasn't easy to have that level of redundancy. So it wasn't easy to share containers between multiple machines. Um, and, Kuber, and Kubernetes, you know, lets, lets you do that. And it, it also helps with the scalability aspect. So the scalability aspect is, like I said, you know, if I've, if I've, if it comes, if it comes to um, Black Friday and I want to run a bunch of like payment uh, applications, I want to be able to scale those up, which means I want to get more instances of that. Kubernetes does that for you completely out of the box. So you can basically say, you can basically say, I want to run between zero and a hundred um, payment like pods, or we call them pods in Kubernetes, but they're, they're, they're containers. Um, and then it'll like automatically scale, scale up based on, um, based on some like CPU requirement or some RAM requirement. Um, and as well as that, it lets you highly customize all the networking. So you can say like, I want these, this little pool of, of containers to, 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 to all uh, take roots in from this endpoint. I want these little, this little pool of containers to take root, roots in from this endpoint. So for example, the codercareer.com slash, I don't know, uh, let's think of something blog this isn't what happens by the way but codecreate.com slash blog could for instance be rooted to a bunch of containers that deal with the blog that's not how it works but it could be and then slash um uh discord the little thing where you type the thing and it go to the discord could for example run off a different set of pods now that is actually realistically not how it works that wouldn't be a good a good application but the theory the theories the theories there Makes sense. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. It, okay. it more more or less makes sense to me. Yeah. So the final thing about about Kubernetes is that it's really important to talk about the microservices pattern. The microservices pattern is this idea that we that we we like or some places and a lot of lot of place a lot of places, but not everywhere, they favor the idea of running a lot of independent services so that they can scale right like the microservice pattern is all about making things scale and what it is is you know rather than having one application where a bit of the application deals with payments a little a bit of the application deals with deliveries a bit of the application deals with the front end but it's all one physical app like with one code base you have separate physical you know separate apps that that run independently and that fits extremely well with what kubernetes offers because kubernetes allows you to say these containers as i said are doing this these containers are doing that off you go as long as you know where each other live you know how to call each other then then we're good and and that's in a nutshell that's kind of that's kind of some of the kind of concepts behind the basics of of what microservices let you do that way as I said before, when when there's a when there's a big uptake in payments for a particular day, that means that the, the payments containers can can scale. In other words, they can increase the number of containers, and um, because we don't have a way of increasing the physical size or the limit of memory they're using, it's not a, a good a good pattern to do that. Um, 
and then Kubernetes is a really is a really good fit uh, from that point of view. So that's what Kubernetes is. Um, I guess the next final question, and we'll try and wrap it up, is how do you work it as a developer? And it's easier it's easier than you would think. Um, the way that it works, the way that you interact with Kubernetes is that once you've set up what we call a cluster, so a cluster is is basically like um, a pool of one or more machines, physical, virtual, you know, you, you can either run them on AWS, you can run them locally in your, in your front room, you know, you install Kubernetes on those machines and you configure it so that they find each other across the network, basically. And then when you run commands on it, you, you're running commands on your node pool, which is like one or more machines that are all part of this cluster. And then each application you, you write, so for writing, you know, if we're writing a, like, let's make it more realistic. We're, we're, we're putting together a Discord bot, right? If you're writing a Discord bot, um, then your Discord bot has a deployment. And that's a Kubernetes term. And then if you're writing a, like a web app, your web app has a deployment. And in those deployments, you define what the containers are and you define any other properties about them that you want. And then the next thing you do is you define what, what they call a service. So one of the slightly confusing things about Kubernetes is that your, your nomenclature, your terminology has duplicates. So there is, for example, as I said before, there's a concept in Kubernetes called the deployment, but there also is a concept in just general, you know, computer thing called, you know, deployment. And um, that can be quite confusing. And there is also a thing in Kubernetes called a service. Your service is a really powerful um, part in Kubernetes. And what that does is that that you apply that, you apply a service to your deployment. So you make a deployment for our Discord bot. And out of the box, that deployment can't speak to nobody. It can't speak to, it can't do any internet. It can't do any networking at all then you give it a service and the service lets you do the networking part and for example the service could say give me an, a, a public ip address give me a private ip address ip address give me a public and private ip address oh no don't don't give me either and just let me use the ip address of the host so lots and lots of things can be done with the service and it's the thing that gets attached to the deployment to make it to make it um uh to give it network access and you kind of build up the puzzle like that. And the way that you do that is that you that you write YAML files and you write YAML files to define those things that I just mentioned. And you store those YAML files basically in the code base alongside your application. So you write a bunch of Kubernetes YAML files, store them in your in your application, and then you can basically use a command line a tool called kubectl. It's K-U-B-E-C-T-L. It's, I think it's short for Cube control, but people just refer to it as cube cuddle or the cuddle the cuddle command. Do, which do you know what YAML is short for? Uh, no, I don't actually. So it's changed twice. This is uh, I quite like this story. So they started off as YAML, yet another markup language, but oh, then cool. they that. felt that the scope had changed a little bit. So now it's a recursive an acronym, um, uh, an acronym, <laughs> acronym. Yeah, I got it's a recursive acronym, acronym, and now it is YAML ain't markup language. Ah, I yeah. like that. I didn't know that. That's very cool. I'm writing YAML all the time, but I had no idea what yeah. it stood for. 
Yeah, me as well with pipelines. It is it is a uh, yeah. YAML is pretty easy to get up and going with that shit. You can even take yeah. notes in it. Like yeah. maybe that's a bit weird, but I find sometimes YAML is quite a nice little format to take notes in. And it's quite it can be converted to and from easily from JSON as well, which quite which is quite good. And um, you can actually interface. You can control Kubernetes with either YAMLs or JSONs. People tend to go for YAMLs. Um, yeah, that's what I've seen. I don't know why. Maybe they're a little bit easier. Like, um, and then the final thing is, if you're if you want to learn any more about Kubernetes, one one of the first one of the one of the kind of slightly more advanced things to do once you've started learning a bit of Kubernetes is to look into a thing called Helm, and basically writing a bunch of YAML and copying and pasting it is laborious. And what Helm does is Helm templates it and makes it so that you can say, right, I'm right, I'm spinning up another microservice. I just like reuse this template and, you know, we're off to the races and I don't have to rewrite my YAML. Um, and then that all goes into your source control. Um, yeah, and that's it. And how Kubernetes actually works is it's a big Go application. Um, oh, like Golang. Ri- yep, it's written written mm. entirely in Go. Um it's pretty big. It's fairly beefy. It's open source and it's invented. It was invented primarily, you know, by Google. Google were the inventor of it. And obviously it's now, you know, a kind of well, well known, um, uh, open source project, but still is, well, obviously has, is maintained very closely by, by the Google folks. So that's your that's your Kubernetes. It's um, the thing about Kubernetes, as I said before, is like it's tough because you have to understand what what problem VMs solved, and then you have to understand what a container is and, and a little bit about what Docker is in order to really get what a, get what a, get what Kubernetes is and does. Um, but it's pretty nifty. No, not to put you on the spot here, but something that's been springing to mind um, for a while since we've been talking about this is this is quite a difficult one to practice because you can make a React app at home pretty easily. You're spot on. How can someone who's listening now be like, okay, this sounds awesome because also as well, jobs really look for people being able to understand Kubernetes. How can people practice it at home? Yeah, I think that is such a good question, man. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently. And it's really, really hard to answer. There is a project out there called Minikube. Um, and Minikube, what what Minikube lets you do is it lets you run Kubernetes on your machine. It lets you run an entire Kubernetes cluster on your machine. But here's the here's the here's the sucker. Minikube, if you were to run it on Mac, uh, Minikube is for Mac. Um, and the reason that it's for Mac is because you can't actually. This is going to get a little bit inceptiony. <laughs> can't actually natively run <laughs> yes this sounds ridiculous you can't actually natively run docker containers and therefore kubernetes on mac natively so like if you were to take a laptop and install linux on it you can install kubernetes on it and you could use it sorted no problem you're you're dead easy um well not easy but easy easier than if you've got a mac if you've got a mac you have to use a thing called minikube and that comes with Docker usually, I think these days. Um, and it's difficult because it runs that whole thing runs in a VM because Mac doesn't natively support it. So that ends up meaning that you can only run a few things on it before your machine starts to melt. <laughs> <laughs> and and generally, I've like 
it's so difficult like it's so clunky that it's uses so much you know of your of the vm uses so much of your cpu and memory that it's really difficult and clunky to 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 like do your work as well as run a minikube instance. So if you want to play with Kubernetes, either uh, use DigitalOcean, which is really good, by the way. I'm going to start plugging DigitalOcean informally. Um, got a really good um, cheap uh, cheap-ish Kubernetes um, option there. It's very expensive to run in AWS. It's quite expensive to run in Google Cloud. It's also quite expensive to run in, in Azure. Yeah. Um, you can try out Minikube. It's pretty good. and um, But it, it does beefy. But if you've got access to native Linux, you can just install it straight on there and, and have at it. But that's a really good question because it is not one of these things that's easy to just, you know, you can't just install it and off you go. There's yeah, a, little bit more, a little bit more to it than that. Yeah. Cool. So, so that, that pretty much wraps Kubernetes, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope it made sense to people. And as always, if you've got any questions, um, come and join us on our Discord and ask us. We'd love to hear if you thought that was useful. And if you have any more specific questions around Kubernetes, we're using it a little bit in the quarter career. And that is thequartercareer.com slash Discord. Cool. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And if you also as well, just another quick plug. Uh, if you have any questions you want to ask me and Colin on the show uh, or any of our guests, uh, there is also a link in the description as well where you can leave us a voice message. And we, we love getting those. And we do have a couple coming up, I'm sure. That'd be great. Thanks, everyone. Cool. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>